Good morning. Thanks, Kathy. My name's Caleb. It's my privilege to preach this morning. And um, the, kids, the kids are in with us today, so I prepared my sermon with just that in mind. In a minute, I'm going to tell a story that has three scenes. And if you have one of those notebooks, those journals, and if you have a basket of markers, um, one thing you might do is to draw a picture for each of the scenes, and I'm going to include some details that maybe you can try to draw if, if, if you're interested. There'll be three scenes, so if you want to draw those scenes, I would love to see what you end up drawing. But I thought also, maybe, why are the, why are the kids in the service with us? And not just today, but, but in general at Grace, we try to keep the kids in the worship service with us as long as we can, as long as it makes sense to, as much as possible. And, and that's not just because, um, you know, um, it's easier. In fact, I, I don't think it's easier. Um, parents, you agree. It's not easier. Um, so why, why do we do that? Um, when at, we could, at the beginning, when people walk in, we could say, all right, Grace Kids, you're gone that way, and the adults go this way. And there's several reasons. One is that we just like being together. We our family. We want to be multi-generational. We want to spend time together, kids and adults, everyone. But it's also um, because of something that maybe we've said before, sacramental ecclesiology. How many syllables is that? Sacramental ecclesiology. That's 10 syllables. And I thought, okay, What's, a, what's an easier way of saying sacramental ecclesiology? I think an easier way is to say, we, we, we believe in something called a third thing. That's two syllables. Third thing. And the story we're going to hear this morning, a third thing happens. And a third thing is one of the reasons we want the kids to be in the service with us. Um, in the story this morning, Peter is preaching. And that's one thing. And there are some people who are listening, and that's two things. And if that was the story, Peter preaching and people listening, well, that would be an okay story, but I don't think we'd be reading it today. But a third thing happens in our story. And the third thing is that the Holy Spirit falls down from heaven on the people who are listening. And that's a third thing. And, 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 and sometimes we think that just two things are happening, that maybe... That maybe um, Davin is just playing a song and you're just participating in that song. And maybe it's a song you don't know. You're sort of humming along, da 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 da. So Davin is singing and that's one thing and you're participating and that's a second thing. But then out of nowhere, a phrase or a lyric hits you in a way that you don't expect it to and you find yourself moved. I don't know if that's happened to you. Um, it's a third thing, and you weren't expecting it. Or, or, um, or Bob or I are preaching, and um, I know we feel like this sometimes. We're, we're preaching, and you're listening, and maybe sometimes we preach, and we think, oh boy, that was terrible. And um, thankfully, a third thing often happens, where we'll get done preaching, and we'll say, whew, all right, next week, moving on. And someone will come up and say, you said this, and I'll say, I did not say that. A third thing happens, or we'll be preaching, and it'll be uh, just a phenomenal sermon, just amazing. But you come in, and, and you're thinking, gosh, I'm, I'm tired, it's been a long week, I'm exhausted, why am I showing up? 
I, I, I just, I should stay home because I'm not fully here. So we have one thing, the sermon, and, and, and the second thing happening. But then even in your fatigue and exhaustion, a third thing happens. And something about that morning makes a difference. That's what we, I think, in a sense, mean when we talk about a sacramental ecclesiology. That means a third thing is happening. A sacrament means it's, it's a mystery, but God's grace is somehow with us. And we believe when we worship together, God's grace is with us. And if it, if it, if it depended entirely upon, um, you know, the preaching or the listening, then we, should only, then we would only be able to preach perfect sermons and you would only want to come on Sundays where you had your A game. And we wouldn't have the kids in with us because if they, well, if they, if they couldn't understand to a certain level, well, then what's the point? But we believe that a third thing is happening, that God's spirit is moving, and that's why we can show up when we don't have our A game and when the sermon is scattered and bad. And, 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 and some of that doesn't even matter because a third thing is going on. In our story today, that's exactly what happens. Here's scene one. There's a man named Cornelius with blue hair and purple lips. He lived in the town of Caesarea Maritima, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean. It's teal blue water and white stone buildings. It's beautiful. Cornelius works in the army. He's a, he's a, he's a, uh, he's a centurion. He's in charge of at least 100 soldiers He's honest and trustworthy, a military man. And the Roman generals love Cornelius. The only thing that was odd about him was that Cornelius did not worship the Roman gods. He just couldn't do it. Couldn't get himself around to believing in them. And somehow he had heard about the Jewish god through a synagogue or something. And something about that story made sense to him. It rang true. The God whose name they didn't even say aloud. He revered that God. He didn't know that much about him, but he respected that God. Luke tells us, he's the the author of our story. Luke tells us that Cornelius prayed all of the time. And he gave his money away constantly to the poor. And in Luke's first book, he says, uh, he he tells a story about Jesus saying, Being clean doesn't mean washing your pots and pans before you cook. Being clean means giving your money away to the poor. Cornelius was clean in that way. So one day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Luke tells us, Cornelius saw a person bright as a light bulb, an angel, who said to him, Cornelius. And he stared in terror and said, What is it, Lord? Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come before God. Send for a man named Peter, staying in a town called Joppa, with a man called Simon the Tanner. Go send for him. So Cornelius called some of his most trusted servants and sent them to find Peter. That's scene one. Pretty unremarkable as far as the Bible goes. The setup doesn't sound like a big deal, but it is, and it is because Cornelius was a Gentile. It's really difficult to come up with a modern parallel for what a Gentile was to the Jews. The Jew-Gentile, it's really hard to come up with a modern parallel that'll help us understand how big of a deal 
this was. Gentile comes from, from this, the Latin root word that we get gene and genetic. It means like family, clan. Gentiles were, were, were a part of a different family, a different clan, clan. The nations, the others. Cornelius was the others. Jesus, everyone had thought, had come for the Jews. Jews were from Judea. Jewish, Jews. That's how we get the word Jews. Jesus, everyone thought, had come for the Jews because, well, that's what he had said. I've come for the Jews. Makes sense. So everyone thought that that was the plan. The plan all along, according to most people's understanding of Jesus and of the Bible, was that God was going to save the Jewish people and Cornelius wasn't a Jewish people. Cornelius was from the wrong clan. He had a different homeroom. He went to a different school. He looked like he didn't grow up around here. He spoke with a funny accent and worshipped in different ways. He didn't know the right rules. He called pop soda and he called rock, paper, scissors, Rochambeau. He wore funny clothes. He just didn't fit in. And Jesus, Jesus had always loved people that were different, but they weren't totally sure if the church was going to be full of people who were different. So if all they had to go on was what they could see with their own two eyes and what they had known in the past, then it didn't make sense that an angel appeared to Cornelius. Here's scene two. So Cornelius has sent these guys down to Joppa to go find Peter. Joppa is 30 miles south on the coast. So it's a lovely journey. They get the coast the whole way down. They go down 30 miles. It takes them a long time. At 12 o'clock noon on the very next day, Peter, who was Jesus' closest friend when Jesus was still with them, was up on a rooftop praying. And I, I wonder what Peter prayed like. If he just like talked as if Jesus was still there. I am just, I, it's, I wonder what his prayer sounded like. Um, but Peter, as he's praying, he's really hungry, and it's the middle of the afternoon, and he's tired, and he falls asleep. And while he's sleeping, he has a dream. And in his dream, he sees a huge white sheet held up by the four corners, drifting slowly down, and on it are a bunch of different animals, but animals that the Bible had said you weren't supposed to eat. Animals that were unclean according to the rules of the Jewish religion. And so Peter sees this sheet full of these animals and he's very confused. And he thinks, this is a test. All right. This is, this is, a, this is a test even in my dream. And a voice says to him, get up. Kill and eat. And Peter says, by no means. I've never eaten anything unclean my entire life. And then the voice says, what God has made clean, you cannot call impure. And Peter's like, uh, huh? No. And then the voice says it again. And then the voice says it a third time. And Peter's really confused. Peter's not sure. It, 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 um, is, this, is this a God thing or is this a I'm hungry thing? Well, you know, like, like, is this, you know, you have one thing and you have two things. Is this a third thing? Is this, is this, the, is this God telling him something? And as he's wondering about it, the Acts tells us, as he's wondering what the dream meant, the visitors from, the, from, from Cornelius come down and they knock on the door and they call for Peter. And Peter goes down to them and says, 
what are you guys doing here? And they say, they tell him the story about Cornelius seeing the angel. And they say, Cornelius is a great guy. He's, 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 he saw this angel. You've got to come up and see him. And Peter, um, Peter decides to go. Something is going on. It's obvious to us that Peter should go. It's obvious to us that the story of Jesus would, of course, go beyond just Jewish people. It's really obvious to us that people of all stripes would hear the story of Jesus and want to follow him. But it's not obvious to Peter that that's the case. He doesn't want to break rules he's not supposed to break. At the time, Peter is breaking rules by going to Cornelius. You're not supposed to go into the house of the people who call Pop Soda. You're not supposed to go there. He has to discern if a third thing is happening. Is this a Holy Spirit thing? Is this a God thing? Or is this just Cornelius and Peter? Peter knows he has to go at least. He has to pay attention to what is happening in him. He has to be open to what is happening in Cornelius. And he has to be on the lookout for God's Spirit. So scene one, the angel appears to Cornelius. Scene two, the animals are on the sheet. They appear to Peter. He's confused. Scene three, Peter arrives at Cornelius' house the next day. And Cornelius has called all of his friends and family to come over to hear what Peter has to say. And Peter's just floored when he gets there and he sees that this guy has an audience for him. And Cornelius says, we're all here to lit. Let me get this right. We're all here to listen to you tell us what God has commanded you. Peter is surprised by the hospitality of Cornelius, the openness of this group of outsiders who are ready to listen. He begins to put the pieces together in his mind and he says, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. And again, that's sort of something we, of course God shows no partiality. But they thought he did. They thought God was still partial to people from certain areas, people that looked certain ways and sounded certain ways. They thought God was still partial to a certain set of rules that you had to follow to belong. But Peter's realizing, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but that anyone from any nation um, who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So then Peter starts to preach and he begins to tell them about his time with Jesus, what Jesus was like and what he did, what Peter saw him do. And then he tells them about Jesus' death and about how he was raised again to life. And, they, and he explains how, how, how now they're living in this new life in Jesus. And here's our text from today. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. A third thing happened. Peter was preaching and the people were listening and the Holy Spirit stepped on the toes of Peter's sermon and cut him off while he was preaching. 
Because God was ready to move on. Sorry, Peter, stepping on your toes here. And the Holy Spirit falls on the people, and a third thing happens. And the thing that happens is exactly what happened to all the Jewish believers at Pentecost, where the Spirit falls down, same verb, and where they speak in different languages or tongues, and they begin to praise God. And Peter looks at it and says, shoot, there you go. A third thing happened. Let's get some water. Let's baptize these people because clearly God shows no partiality. And anyone from any place who calls pop whatever they want can be a part of God's family. A third thing happened. Cornelius suspected that there was a richer and fuller life than becoming rich and powerful. And so he prayed. And he gave his money to the poor. And in that way, I think, he placed himself in the path where God's light shined. Cornelius reminds me of my favorite quote from Annie Dillard. She writes, I cannot cause light. The most I can do is try to put myself in the path of its beam. And on Sundays, we show up with the same hope that a third thing might happen, that if we gather here together with our brothers and our sisters, that we might stand in the path of Christ's light and be encouraged by it. And this is what Cornelius does. He places himself in the path of Jesus' light, and he invites everyone he knows to do the same. Dillard's quote goes on, Light, be it particle or wave, has force. You can rig a giant sail and go. Hone and spread your spirit till you yourself are a sail, wedded, translucent, broadside to the merest puff. Light has force. And Peter is called to be a sail that catches the wind, that catches the light of Christ, that follows the wind of the Holy Spirit to throw up his sail and let Christ take him wherever it might go. The early church keeps learning this lesson, how to be a sail, and the church today continues to learn how do we spread our sail and let the light of Christ push us in directions that we don't expect to go. This week, I suspect that God's Spirit is going to do a third thing in our lives. We'll see something, and it'll seem like maybe one, we're seeing something and something else is happening, but a third thing is going on. God's Holy Spirit is at work, moving like the wind, and we are called to be giant sails, spread wide, open to the merest puff. So let us pray and let us be generous And let us be looking for God to do third things all around us. Let's pray. God, will you soften our hearts and open our eyes so that we can see where your Holy Spirit is causing us to love others. Will you open our eyes so that we can see how you're at work in the world so that we might act in ways so that we can be the lens through which people see your love for them. Help us to throw up our sails so that your Holy Spirit can fill us and guide us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
Amen.